Hello there, I'm Justin, and welcome to The Pickup Line. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a few different things, but I think they're all tied together. Uh, So join me for a little discussion today on orality and literacy, music theory, and some of my thoughts on what I've been working on recently. Let's go. So I've been reading a little bit more of orality and literacy, and I want to start there today um, with some reading from the, the first chapter of this book, some stuff that I marked and highlighted that I thought was really some interesting things. Um, so we'll start here. Uh, Walter Ong writes in the first chapter of orality and literacy, but in all the wonderful worlds that writing opens, the spoken word still resides and lives. Written texts all have to be related somehow, directly or indirectly, to the world of sound, the natural habitat of language to yield their meanings. Reading a text means converting it to sound, aloud or in the imagination, syllable by syllable in slow reading or sketchily in the rapid reading common to high technology cultures. Writing can never dispense with orality. I was really kind of astounded by this concept, um, you know, considering this book is being written in sort of like the early ages of kind of uh, of our technological culture and in the late 80s and, you know, computers were a thing. Technology was kind of changing the world in a lot of ways, but not certainly not in the ways that we would see it change the world in the next 30 years after the 80s. But um, this concept of reading as like a codec for oral sound, like for written word as a, co- a coding and encoding decoding process in the same ways that computers and our cell phones and MIDI software and everything else kind of encodes and decodes all this stuff is is just really really fascinating to me um and this this distinction that Ong makes consistently throughout this first chapter of the book is this notion of like thought and idea and whatever that is this the, the the neurons firing through our brains those things are, are separate and different and unrelated to the way that we decode those things through the social and literate languages that we've chosen to do that through. Like, like the idea of, of the written word and the idea of, of kind of communicating through writing and through socialization, they're very separate from the idea of, of mental thought and of of hearing he makes a lot of distinctions between oral history and uh a term that he gets to later you know, that he uses called voicing this idea of voicing uh stories or voicing history or uh voicing rhetoric as opposed to when this changed to written forms of communication um we see that you know reflected here throughout and it's just a, a really interesting idea um you know this this notion of reading perhaps as a codec for sound um I love the stuff that he talks about when he gets into kind of the the uh, the original Greek uh, meaning or, or, or words for rhetoric, techne, rhetoric, speech art, commonly abridged to just rhetoric. Um, you know, I teach in a department, re- recently created d- department at a university called the Writing, Rhetoric, and Digital Studies Department. Um, and so rhetoric is, is hugely important to my career and my life and everything I'm doing. Um, here, Ong writes, uh, rhetoric referred essentially to oral speaking, even though as a reflective organized art or science, for example, in Aristotle's Art of Rhetoric, rhetoric was and had to be a product of writing. 
uh, rhetoric uh, basically meant public speaking or, or oratory, which for centuries, even in literate and typographic cultures, remained unreflexively pretty much the paradigm of all discourse, including that of writing. Thus, writing from the beginning did not reduce orality, but enhanced it, making it possible to organize the principles or constituents of oratory into a scientific art, a sequentially ordered body of explanation that showed how and why oratory achieved and could be made to achieve its various specific effects. So I think that tracing of where rhetoric comes from is really important and useful here. Um, on goes on to make this really interesting comparison to, to try to help us understand what it means to kind of that our history has twined together uh, literate writing and orality. It, 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 he kind of makes this interesting comparison of, uh, it, you know, if you were trying to describe to someone, uh, oh yeah, I'll just, I won't, I won't paraphrase. I mean, um, where is it? Um, It's this connection he makes between... Oh, here we go. This is great. Thinking of oral tradition or heritage of oral performance, genres and styles as oral literature is rather like thinking of horses as automobiles without wheels. So I'll pause from my reading here for a moment. Imagine if you were trying to think about um, what, what what a horse is and you're trying to describe a horse to someone and you began that description by saying, well, a horse is like a car with no wheels. And Ong writes, you can, of course, undertake to do this. Imagine writing a treaty on horses for people who've never seen a horse, which starts with the concept not of horse, but of automobile. Built on the reader's direct experience of automobiles, it proceeds to discourse on horses by always referring to them as wheelless automobiles, explaining to highly automobilized readers who have never seen a horse all the points of difference in an effort to excise all idea of automobile out of the concept wheelless automobile, so as to invest the term with a purely equine meaning. Instead of wheels, the wheelless automobiles have enlarged toenails called hooves. Instead of headlights or perhaps rear vision mirrors, eyes. Instead of a coat of lacquer, something called hair. Instead of gasoline for fuel, hay, and so on. In the end, horses are not only what they are not. No matter how accurate and thorough such apophatic description It's a new word. I'll have to look that one up. Automobile driving readers who have never seen a horse and who hear only of wheelless automobiles will be sure to come away with a strange concept of a horse. The same is true of those who deal in terms of oral literature, that is, oral writing. You cannot, without serious and disabling distortion, describe a primary phenomenon by starting with a subsequent secondary phenomenon and pairing away the differences. Indeed, starting backwards in this way, putting the car before the horse, good one, Ong, you can never become aware of the real differences at all. So I, I love that whole thing. And, and I think as a writing teacher, this is something that, that I need to always remember and always think about and always consider. Am I doing that? Am I trying to describe writing concepts to students in ways that are backwards, that, 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 that start with assumptions that they know things or they should know things that, that aren't really there yet? Um, so I think that's really great. He goes on to talk a little bit about this idea, idea of weaving, which is a really cool concept, the idea of kind of weaving uh, how the word text, uh, the word text originally, re- there's a root meaning to the word text, that is, that is the word to weave, um, which is fascinating. Um, and then this last part, uh, really great. Um, 
He says, nevertheless, without writing, human consciousness cannot achieve its fuller potentials, cannot produce other beautiful and powerful creations. Um, and he talks about how it's very hard to kind of move past this. It's very hard to abandon oral tradition and oral history for this new world of, of written literacy. Um, and I think we see this a lot, this idea that, you know... Um, you have to, what's that, what's that great line from, um, oh, I'll have to, um, I'll, I'll put the song in here. There's a song, there's a Tyler Lyle song that, that, that mentions this concept of like, you can't, le- you, 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 um, you, I'm going to, I'm going to pause and go find the song. <laughs> So the line, every place changes, what can you do? You can't take a part of it unless you leave a part of you. And that's from the song Golden Gate by Tyler Lyle, just a beautiful, brilliant uh, masterpiece of, of songwriting. Um, but Ong echoes this sentiment here um, when he talks about this notion of this awareness, as Ong writes, this awareness of, of moving past moving into something new, is agony for persons rooted in primary reality, who want literacy passionately, but who also know very well that moving into the exciting world of literacy means leaving behind much that is exciting and deeply loved in the earlier oral world. And then Ang says, we have to die to continue living. Um, this is a great line, and I, I believe that is true, and I believe that's one of the hardest and scariest things for us to do as people, um, is to kind of move past our our history give up a part of that and move into something different you know it's funny in the last episode i talked about synthwave music and a big part of synthwave is nostalgia and thinking about this this past this history and longing for that and you know i i think there's something there to to be said about what are you really longing for and and what is what is actually happening there? I think, and again, uh, the last episode talked about this more, but this idea that my favorite band, The Midnight, and why they, why their music is so poignant is that they just, they sort of transcend that notion of pure nostalgia and move it into a, a place. And, and I use this this Japanese phrase, mono noir, and it means this sort of sad acceptance of time passing. Like this, be- there's beauty in that. Like the beauty of time passing. Um, and the, 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 yes, it's sad that you're longing for this time before, but there's also a beauty in that impermanence. Um, so I think that's amazing. Uh, so reading this part of orality and literacy and this notion of learning things backwards and how difficult that is, it, it, it brought up some stuff for me because I feel like so much of my own education has been like this. So much of my work in school and creative endeavors 
has kind of had this backward slant to it that's that, that the older I get, the more I see it and the more it frustrates me. I a few episodes back I mentioned kind of how this book, Orality and Literacy, should have been taught to me. Like it should have been at least given to me, shown to me, put forth to in front of me somewhere, I would think, in my education. Uh, a foundational text for understanding writing and literacy and all of it should have been a part of my college education. Undergrad graduate schools somewhere in there and yes i'm not i'm not completely removing myself from the onus of, of doing that work on my own but like you know i i could have found it myself but it would have been nice to have a little help would have been nice to have a little theory a little grounding would have been nice recently i've had my mind blown because when i was a kid i took piano lessons i, I enjoyed those piano lessons and sometimes sometimes it was not the most fun thing for me to do because the experience of me taking piano lessons when I was a kid as far as I can remember was memorizing notes on a on a page in a in a practice songbook writing the notes down uh being scolded by my music teachers when I didn't understand the notes or forgot one and messed up a note uh memorizing a song to the point where I didn't need the notes anymore I could just memorize it and then being able to perform it at some ridiculous recital Nowhere in my musical learning heritage do I recall ever once being taught a scrap of music theory, of the, 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 the building blocks, of the recipes, of the genetic code that made up what I was trying to do. I was learning songs and being able to play them on the piano without understanding what was really going on there. I think this is a I'm really coming to understand this is a common theme in my life and especially in my own educational experiences. Math was the same way. Memorize how this problem works. Memorize how this thing works so that you can perform it in some bullshit test. Uh, But we're not going to actually teach you the theory behind it or the history of it or where it came from or the people responsible for developing these ideas or why those ideas were developed. None of that was included. So this all came to a head this weekend when I was as I always am trying to like find outlets for my creativity and piano has always been something that I've enjoyed and I play a little guitar and I again I, I know a couple chords do I understand guitar music theory absolutely not I've memorized a couple finger placements on my guitar um but I watched this 30 minute video just on a whim this weekend on YouTube and I'll put the link to it in this episode uh it's called learn music theory in 30 minutes and it, it blew me away it it blew me away and it started with one simple concept one key one piece of information that had i had this piece of information before i might have had a lot more success with music and it was this simple idea that a a musical scale has a consistent pattern (laughs) i was i've never i never knew this so it started you know it began by defining what a whole step is and what a half step is and that's very easy a whole step is two two keys on a piano so one, two, you count two keys next to each other, that's a whole step, one, two. You count one key next to, each, next to another one, that's a half step. So you go, let's say you're at the, see it, you're at the key on the piano, the, the key that's called C, that one note, that one white key. You press that, and then you go two notes up from that, so C sharp, and then D, and that's called a whole step. And then if you were to go from D to D sharp, the black key, that's a half step. Okay, so you define those terms and then and here's the shocking part for me, the scale pattern, whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. Mind blown 
And then the, the idea that you can figure out any scale on the piano by simply finding the root note. So pick any key you want, any piano note you'd like, and then apply that pattern of two whole notes, two whole steps, a half step, three whole steps, and a half step. And those are the notes in that scale. It really blew me away. And, and then it, that video continues to talk about sort of like, if you just play notes in that scale and find melodies and chord triads and that's in that particular scale that's a lot of a vast majority of music comes out of that um and then there's more advanced techniques of course and i, I want to continue to learn but you know i've i've always enjoyed music and playing piano and i want to get back into that and i want to get better at it um so i'm trying i'm trying and, and i feel like having you know i'm 38 years old and i'm just now coming to understand that there's this pattern to scales like i feel like that is information that i should have had at some point especially if i took piano lessons when i was a little kid um so it, it, I, I see some overlaps there with what, with what Ong is talking about in his book. Um, this idea of like learning things backwards, of understanding the present without understanding the history. Uh, and and it, it all, it's all kind of swirling around in my brain right now. So we'll see. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be practicing some piano, reading some more orality and literacy. But check out this video if you want to learn the basics of, of music theory on the piano in like 30 minutes. It's a great, great video. I was really impressed by it. Um, and we'll continue our discussion of, of orality and literacy moving forward here as we get into chapter two. Uh, I'll be here all week, five straight days of the pickup line. So let's get it. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'll leave you with a little bit of music and um, I really appreciate you hanging out. If you have Anchor on your phone, feel free to call in to the podcast, leave a message and I'd, I'd happily uh, include that in the next episode and we can start up a conversation. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, until next time. <laughs>